Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have a very exciting guest. Well, okay, not exciting. They're exciting, but I'm excited. I'm excited to have them on here. Uh, from afar, I think we've enjoy, enjoyed watching each other, and now we actually get to jam with each other. I have the, the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Joey Little in the house. Joey, what's going on? Uh, thanks for having me. And first of all, before, because I'm here in Kansas City, I just want to say that Canada, even though we can't come to your country, is still uh, oh, a part of my Christ. heart right now. So just saying, just saying, I got some ketchup chips over there, too. You know, I, I will have to say, um, and I'm probably we're probably gonna. This is probably where I'll get a lot of comments on. Is Canada has better candy and better beer than the I, U.S. Hands down, you have seven candy bars in in Canada. We cannot get here in the states, and Coffee Crisp is one of those. And Cadbury, I wish they would they would crank out some of that stuff down here too. Your Smarties are unbelievable. On, right? Smarties put M and M's to shame. They do they do? Even though I do miss Sixlets. Remember those? I, mean, I have no idea what that is. Sixlets are like little tiny round like chocolate balls. Like they're no, kind of like a smarty. Is it Canadian or is that? They, no, is that a, I think what it is is more of like a Western United States thing. I'm originally from I'm originally from the Western side of the United States. And it's funny because oh. if you are you from the East Coast? No, no, man. I'm right in the middle. I'm in, right in the middle. City, okay, dab <laughs> in the middle, man. This is cowboy country. Cowtown is where I'm at, which which is uh, which is exciting. It's a very cool city. It's it's. Uh, it's really neat too because uh, when we started our first company uh, as a startup, we started here in Kansas City called Vin Solutions. Yeah, and that then that blossomed to have this is kind of the uh, Silicon Valley of the Prairie or Silicon Prairie for automotive retails software. I love company. that description. It's the Silicon yeah. Prairie. Of so it's very innovative here. It's a cool thing. Well, Joey, we're gonna have a lot of fun today. Uh, before we get uh, our kind of our main topic started today, I thought we'd kick off the podcast with a little origin story because I'm, I'm always super fascinated how everybody kind of fumbles their way into the business, born into the business, or in my case, was conned into the business. So <laughs> I'd love to hear the origin story that is Joey Little. Straight up fumbled in, man. Straight up fumbled in. Uh, so once again, thanks for having me on here. This is really cool. Plus, during the pandemic, it's great to talk to somebody, um, you know, instead of just staring at the walls. <laughs> my my career in automotive uh, retail has been uh, on the, the vendor side, but I go way back. I was in broadcasting for 10 years. I, I was what you call the bus driver on a rock radio morning show in Northeast Kansas. Um, they were looking for the, sh the whole shock jock kind of thing. And that's, that's the character I played. But part of my job there is I was also the image director, which basically came down to how to make our radio station look uh, pretty awesome. We were in a cluster of other uh, five other stations from oldies to adult contemporary mm -hmm. to AM stations. Um, and also I was brought in on a strategy for car dealerships because you know, who likes to spend more money on radio, celestial radio? Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> local car dealerships. Yeah. And it just got to the part where a lot of these dealerships, when they'd send in, uh, you know, they wanted a new commercial, they're very laissez-faire about it. I would just get a photocopy of the Sunday paper that had their specials, yeah. you know, and I had to follow the... Uh, the outline that's still used today. And I can tell you this might, you know, this is an aha moment. The, the outline to a radio commercial or a television commercial for, for most local dealerships franchised is this. Uh, we have the lowest 
lowest cost or lowest, you know, our, our, mm-hmm. we have the most inventory and we're not going to screw you because my granddaddy has owned this for 67 years. <laughs> That's it. percent financing. We won't screw you over because we're the best blah, blah, blah in town. From that, um, this 2008, there was the uh, little crash that we had uh, across the country and and, uh, Cumulus Broadcasting got rid of a lot of the talent. So I I stepped back to uh, school, uh, got into uh, taking photography classes, videography, editing, all of that, basically multimedia. Uh, I was handling social media at the time for our station, we were way beyond anybody else because I have a younger sister who's 14 years younger than me. So I learned about <laughs> Friendster and MySpace pretty quick. And so I, I just brought that kind of multimedia, started my own company, but I needed a nine to five, you know, to pay the, uh, the um, we, uh, health insurance, mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so I had a friend of mine that, that worked for this tiny, tiny CRM company in Kansas City that was just, you know, getting off the ground and doing, doing pretty well. And it was called Vin Solutions. So I applied. Uh, I'd met CEO Mike DeLay, one of the founders. He hired me on as uh, to run the marketing because there was no marketing department at, at Vin Solutions. Uh, and then uh, just from that, it exploded. Uh, because of my background and, and getting into multimedia, video, uh, you know, even, even a little podcasting, things like that before way back in the day, it, it just kind of set Vin Solutions different than your other kind of companies that were out there to dealers. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we sold Vin Solutions to uh, Cox Automotive in 2011, Auto Trader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stuck around for a bit because we had also acquired Haystack Digital Marketing, so I joined that executive team as you know, you know, as one of our our companies. And uh, it wasn't really, I, I, I'm, it wasn't really for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not a structured corporate, you know. Um, kind of person. I'm not, and there's nothing against that. I'm just not, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I don't want to use, you know, blow my ego up. I'm a renegade. I'm, I'm somebody who likes to try things. Corporate, the corporate world tends to do it the way it's always been done. Of course. Right. Even if it hasn't really worked. And then if you do, you got six weeks to analyze your, your metrics and your, you know, all that analytics and all that. And then you make a tiny little tweak in something like, I don't do that. If something doesn't work, and this is the reason why it's not working. Let's change it and let's try it again. Mm-hmm. So we started a company uh, called Motofuse. It was uh, executives from Vin Solutions. We all left the company. And Motofuse was a social media software tool, also was a predictive analytics uh, tool. So we were able to, you know, get data on customers and be able to track and see when we believe that they were in market, when they're on websites, things like that. Uh, we built that pretty well. We, we hired Mike Delay, the former, uh, you know, from, from Vin Solutions as our CEO at Motifuse. Yep. Uh, we got the attention of AutoAlert, which was a equity mining, data mining company that had been in the space for over 15 years. And here's a data mining company that now wants to merge with a predictive analytics. So not only do you know what customers can upgrade their vehicle, but now you can see who's actually shopping and, yeah. and, and it made a pretty good uh, marriage. That uh, was with AutoAlert, the company for for whatever five years. Recently, uh, parted ways. Uh, most of the executive team parting ways. New new regime over there. And uh, speaking with Mike Delay, uh, just the fact that what I've done for these three Vin Solutions, Motofuse, and, and AutoAlert on the the branding, marketing, content marketing side. Why can't I do that for other companies? 
in the automotive space that have a that have great products, software as a service, right? That have great products, but maybe they just don't have the right presence to to get in to get a dealer's attention. You know, right? and and I, that's a great place to play in right now because I think there are so many, you know, vendors out there. You know, it's not a fair place for vendors. Let's just say that, right? You know, you've seen this, and I've seen this. I've seen really great products, and just the company doesn't go anywhere. And I've seen really bad products, and the company continues to grow. Oh, absolutely. And, and 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 you know, where I'm looking at probably the most successful, say, SaaS or vendor solutions that I've seen out there. The one thing that I found always consistent, and Vin Solutions is a great example of that as well. And so, uh, is is their commitment to their brand. You know, they, they, they realized that the value to the dealer had to exceed beyond just the product and service that they were providing. And they needed to find that space and that's where they could create their brand. So, you know, for there's a lot of vendors that are listening to the show right now and they're trying to discover what that, that I call that kind of that, that, that cream that's on the top there, right? Yeah. And it's like we're meeting their expectations but you know, for me to really solidify my my brand equity, I need to exceed their expectations. You know, what do you say to to other vendors out there that are looking to find that that space? So the first thing I, I would say in that in that in that instance is is self awareness. Mm. Um, self awareness is something that I mean, it's it's one of the best gifts that you can give yourself personally. I know that I when I, when I started going on a self awareness journey uh, seven years ago, my life completely changed. But I don't think that we do it professionally, especially as marketers or content marketers. We tend to, to, I mean, there's some renegades, there's some rebels that are out there, but we tend to just go through the, the motions, right? And we tend to do things that we think is the right thing. And I'll give you an example too. Uh, when I first started in broadcasting on the morning show, I was not the, the, the main host. I was a co-host and my, my main host was a guy named JC mm-hmm. and he'd been in the, uh, a DJ for 26 years. And so when we're doing this morning show together, he would say things like, you know what, coming up at the bottom of the hour, your chance to win red hot chili pepper tickets. And I'd be like, what bottom of the hour? Who says that? Like everyone might say to you, Hey, what time are you going to come by for dinner? Oh, I think I'll be there around the bottom of the hour. No, I I say six 30, right? He, he, the self-awareness left him and he forgot what it was like to be a listener. Mm. And I believe in this opportunity with these companies, with marketing teams, they forget what it's like to be their target demo. They forget and, and they go through the motions because they think that's the way it's supposed to be. And maybe it sounds, makes them sound more proper. Sure. So if I say to you, if you ask me what time it is and I say, well, here in Kansas city, it's three 24, um, 36 before the hour. You look at me like I'm a, what, what? <laughs> it's three twenty. it's three 30. It's almost three 30. That's how people talk. That's how things happen. And I believe that mark marketers forget. And so then you get this ultra stuffy, so worried about being a, uh, a subject matter expert or a thought leader, whoever came up with those terms. Okay. That's fine. But that doesn't work for every company out there. Well, it's the same as a dealership saying that they're family owned. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, Mark- like they're marketing terms. It's marketing terms. Like marketing zesty. terms. It's like you know what? I, I've never met a vendor that wasn't number one. I've never met a vendor that you know, as long as I sold one extra car, I could cover the expense of it. Um, but you know, it's just it, yeah. I, I think that the dealer. <laughs> I know I hate that one. That's just, <laughs> um, that it's one of my biggest pet peeves. I tell vendors all the time: if you have any 
language like that in any of your presentation, I, I will shut the door and I will kick you right out. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like it, it blows my mind. But but the, the one thing the one thing of it is is going back to this kind of like you know this family owned we're always number one kind of stuff. It's I, I would I would actually probably have more respect for a company that is willing to run a campaign saying that they're number two because who doesn't like a good number two. That would be a good one. Um, <laughs> that's a good meal. It's a really, it's a really good one. I had to pause it for a second and process that. But, it's, it's, but you know what I mean? There's that reality. There's the, there's a realness to it. There's a rawness to it. It's just it's just being a, a human being. And I find marketing companies or agencies really struggle just to be a person, and rather than just kind of always concentrating on the end results, they don't focus on the efforts to just connect with someone. You see the same. Yeah. And what you just said to me gave me an idea for some dealerships out there and, and, and you that, that handle dealerships. I think a great campaign and you you made this spark is taking all your negative reviews that you have on Dealer Raider or Google or whatever it is like that and creating a campaign of how you fix those. What did you do in the customer uh, experience to make those better? Right. Mm -hmm. And highlighting those. I mean, I can highlight all day long. I've got four point seven stars on my Google. Okay. Well, how did you handle that point three? What did you yep. do with those customers? Because there's an op, there's a chance I may be a point three. No, I, okay. There's one thing I have to say. Yeah. This is another big pet peeve of mine. And I know I'm going off topic here real quick, but I don't understand the three-star review on Google. I, I, I legitly think that three-star reviews are saved for uh, people that are psychotic and uh, possibly, um, a loony <laughs> like, who leaves a three-star review i mean seriously right like think about that you know like well, i have to i have to fall right in the middle like it wasn't a good service but it wasn't a bad service so i'm going to go out of my way to say it was a neutral service <laughs> yeah i was just feeling ho-hum that day right i was just feeling i was ho -hum. feeling ho-hum and everything around me was ho-hum and it was white bread and uh and tea that was it that's all <laughs> Just a whole hum day. I just I don't get it. I don't get three. Nobody reviews. trusts a perfect. Nobody. Nope. I don't care who you are, but nobody trusts a perfect review, and nobody trusts a one star review. It's the ones in the middle. It's the ones on the on the fringe, or on the you know going on both sides. It's the two That's and fours that I'm always looking for. I'm, look, I'm looking. That? I'm looking for the two and fours. Yes. I find I've, when I'm reading reviews, I find more value in understanding it and I find better in depth of understanding the company when I read twos and fours rather than when I read anything else. I also think we also put too much emphasis on the reviews. No? Uh, on, a, on a search side, I think it's, it's extremely important. You know, um, I mean, because, I mean, for Google, it's extremely important on that side. Um, for research purposes, because it's no, no sense having reviews online or nobody can find them. Right. So um, I, I think I think it is important on the search side, but I and I think it's it's I think it's more important to address your negatives than it is to address the extreme positives. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's been done forever. This is one of those things that you can just say, hey, we're not perfect. Like you said before, we may not be number one, but guess what? We take care of things better than our, than the number one does. You know what? I think that's a great campaign. I think a lot of vendors, a lot of dealers could actually get some serious value from just, just being honest. Like, you know, we're, we're not the best at it, but we're going to continue to work at it. But we are, you know, we, we, we could, I, I think when people admit and openly uh, talk about their failures or their shortcomings, I, I, I seem to connect with them as a brand a lot faster. Do, do you not agree, see that too? 
So I'll tell you in my personal life, I have a, a personal podcast uh, called Everyone Needs a Little because I'm a bit narcissist about my last name. It's, <laughs> it's almost in everything that I I've built except for my current company that I'm building. Um, and my, my podcast is nothing but me taking accountability for stuff that I want to bitch about, right? We, <laughs> we, can, <laughs> we can complain about others and get like this whole Karen thing that's going on right now with you know, these people that are, that are just upset about nothing. And I can go on a podcast and I can rant and rave about how these people are just trash, right? But then if I sit back and go, wait a minute, I've actually done that a few times, just never got caught and I was never on video because <laughs> I was having a weird day. I think that that is the self-awareness that I'm talking about, not only just for marketing teams, but also operational teams, uh, sales teams, and things like that, is that self-awareness is, is definitely uh, a key that you need for success. Which, by the way, you brought up uh, what we're talking about here. There's a movie starring uh, Dudley Moore. I forget what it's called, but he's an ad agency. And he comes up with uh, real uh, kind of uh, <laughs> uh, campaigns like Volvo. Buy it because it's boxy. Buy you know, that kind of boxy. like... So See, if you, like get a chance to you know, the Volkswagen, like the old school Volkswagen ads were exactly like that, right? They, it was a bug. It was little. It was ugly. You know, they, but they didn't hide from that at all. And I feel like I, I can connect with a brand like that. But here's, here's what I find. And Joe, Joey, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on this too, is I go into some of these meetings with dealers and with vendors and, you know, as far as how they're going to develop a brand. And I feel like these branding meetings just turn into like glorified pats on the back. Like, and it, it's just, it's like, well, you do a good job with this and you do a good job with that. So, you know, that's what we're going to put out there. And, you know, how, how, how do dealers and vendors get away from just patting themselves on the back and, and finding that space where people want to connect with them because they're just being real? You can't. Sorry. Yeah. You can't. Because that's, <laughs> that's not a company problem. That's a, that's a leadership problem. Mm, that's a, that's a, a lack of self-worth and a lack of self self-esteem when it comes to that. And, and of course, self-awareness. Um, if, if your, if your strategy is, is being powered by, uh, ego, right. Um, then you're never going to win. You're never going to win. I hear people say it all the time. And on the vendor side is that you have to come at a lot of dealers at their ego, right? You have to put them on, um, uh, 20 groups to make them feel good. Like you're yeah. there important and things like, which is, you know, we're just feeding that ego and the same with vendors as well. If you can't understand that, I mean, there's been times that leadership is people have sat back, you know, the whole room is on fire and they're just <laughs> sitting there going, yeah, this, this is okay. This is all right. We're doing fine. It, it starts with leadership. It starts with that awareness. And it also, I think it's also, you don't know what you don't know. Sure. You know, if I'm selling 150 cars a month, new and used, and I'm doing a thousand ROs or whatever, um, it's like, I feel good. Like I'm doing a great job. Well, here's the thing. You make a couple of leadership changes. You make a couple of different software changes. You make your process a, a bit simpler and you focus on customer experience instead of, of, of bottom line. You may selling 220 cars a month, but you but, don't know oh, what you don't know because you're comfortable at 150. But it's all, well, that's the, it's comfortable, comfortable. It, that's what it is. I call it full belly syndrome. Okay. It's mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're satisfied. And what we do is we spend all of our time talking about what we have done, not talking about what we could have done. And mm -hmm. there's just this level of satisfaction. So we just kind of continue to do that. Look, I, 
I've actually yet to meet a vendor or a dealer that would disagree that developing out better brand strategies or identifying the brand within within the business is 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 not important. Like it's important to everybody, right? But then it's they, they just kind of say, "Yep, yep, yep, yep." That's important. nobody. That's nobody important. knows what brand means. They they don't understand what it means, and I'd love to kind of get your thoughts. Like how do how do you define a brand, Joey? So I, I can't really even because I think it's it's one of those questions that's that is up for interpretation. What I believe brand is my feelings. Usually I'm a facts over feelings type of guy. Mm-hmm. Is culture and story um, mixed together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's that's and then also the relatability with your 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 demo, your target market, right? That's the three pinnacles of what brand is uh like wendy's has a an amazing brand uh on twitter because they speak like normal people and they they rouse other people and they troll and they do things like that they're they're witty that's that's great branding right because it it, it was also i mean they did the whole thing with dave thomas for so long like this guy is our founder like there's the story that's in there too so wendy's has done a great job if you just look at you know b2c uh, type branding, but there's other companies that think that they have to pump out white paper after white paper and these really stuffy, uh, ads, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it just, it, your brand is your story. And, and, and I don't think it's being told enough. I didn't care that your granddad has owned this dealership for 67 years. Why did he start it? Right. That's Why really did you pick point. this community? Exactly. You know what? And the funny thing is if, if we don't narrate the story, uh, then our customers will do it for us. Absolutely. Right. I, I, I've actually, I had someone the other day, you know, we got into know, a little bit of an argument. Right. And they're like, well, you know, we've never done any branding. And I'm like, Oh yes, you have. Like, he's like, no, no, we haven't. I'm like, no, you, you do it every single day. Your brand already exists. It exists in the eyes of your customers. All right. You're just not facilitating the perception of the brand. All right. They, right. They're already perceiving you. In fact, I, one, of the, one of my favorite exercises is taking a dealer or a vendor and going to their, their reviews and picking out the, the top three words that are used consistently through the hundreds and thousands of reviews it is. It's like, dude, there's your brand. That's how you're being perceived. You may or may not like it, but that's what it is. And I feel like, I, I feel like you're, you're with me on this is that as, as owners, we need to take ownership of our brand and give it a direction. But I feel like a lot of people just, they fall short of understanding how to do that. It's, it's, it's American football to me. You've got a head coach and you know, you, you lead the team and you try to control the clock and you do whatever you can from the sidelines. That's leadership, right? If you lose the game, you aren't out there on the field, right? So, but you still take the loss. You're the, you're, you're (laughs) the one, you know, that needs to do that. It's the same with, with your company. It's absolutely the same. And there's too many people that step away uh, from that and don't think that they have responsibility, that it's the responsibility of the marketing team to do it. And that's not, it's not how it is because most marketing teams that I know, they are, there is, you think there's a wall between service and sales at a dealership, the wall around a marketing team at most companies is higher and thicker than that wall between service and sales at a dealership. Oh, and, I'm, I'm with you. I actually call it an island. And yeah, it's like Morse thing. code of community. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's how I compare the level of communication sometimes is that we're just sitting there just 
blinking lights at them or yeah. something, you know, and that's about, that's about it. But here's a, here's something I've seen. And I'm curious if you've seen the same thing as well is I've actually seen a lack of leaders. I've been into a lot of dealerships and, and consulted with a lot of other businesses where there's just nothing but managers. And you and, know why they got into that place? Why? Sales, nothing to do with management style, nothing to do with leadership, nothing to do with, with, uh, with communication. It had to do with the fact that, Hey, this guy's selling 18 to 25 cars a month. We need to make him a manager. You know, Hey, she's, she's, uh, she's making 450 phone calls a day and setting appointments left and right. We need to make her a manager. There's no, there's no other. It's a very interesting dynamic that to, to make it in a dealership culture or in the world of a professional, it, it's not based off of your leadership skills. It's based off of how many cars you can sell and how many appointments you can set and all that kind of stuff. And until that thing changes, it's not going to change in dealerships. That's, that, that's totally true. I mean, it's a, it's a fundamental shift. You know what I've um, actually consulting with the dealership right now. And um, it's, it's funny sitting down and, and really getting the um, management team and ownership to really kind of be honest with, with each other, right? And what we're finding out is that, you know, the, the owner is actually probably a better manager than a leader. And the current manager is actually probably a better leader than, 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 than a manager. And, you know, I, I think people struggle to identify the differences there. So I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts. How, how do you kind of define the difference between leadership and management? Well, first of all, I'm going to admit something that <clears throat> anybody uh, that is this a talking head on podcasts or videos or, you know, anything like that. Um, I'm going to admit this. It's, it's taboo. Sure. I'm not, I'm, I'm a, you said, I could say this earlier. I'm a shitty leader. I'm <laughs> absolutely not a good leader. I'm not, what I am is I'm an executor and I am a, a creator. Um, and I can put together their strategies and the process to implement those strategies. I can, I, that's what I do. Yep. You give me a team, uh-oh, <laughs> right? Because I don't have those qualities and I haven't educated myself on that. So when it comes to what I need for as a leader, for me, if I have one, I mean, I'm, I'm a business owner now. Um, I need somebody who is, who's going to, to, to hold me accountable uh, for what my duties are or what my skills are uh, and also encourage me. I, I think it comes down to this too. As a leader, I think one of the first things that you need to be completely aware of is... Myers-Briggs. And yep. I'm not saying Myers-Briggs is, is that's, that's just an example. If no, you don't no, know what Myers-Briggs it, it, is. It creates that awareness, that self-awareness. It, it says that human beings have one of 16 different personalities. And to be a good leader, you have to be very cognizant of the fact that if you have 16 employees working for you, there may be 16 different personalities. And, and also the fact you throw in love languages or, or, or educational languages. Yep each one of those has to be communicated in a different way. And each one of those employees needs to, to hear praise in a different way. Um, sales, if you, the way that you praise a salesperson, bonuses and high mm -hmm. commission, correct? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's more simple. Um, but that, I believe that's the first step of becoming a leader is that not everybody is like you and everybody is different on how they want to be communicated with and driven. No, I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, like that, that leader has to be responsible for developing out the culture goals, the communication goals. I mean, look, like, I'll give you an example. During this pandemic, okay, I, I'm wondering if you saw the same thing. Like, I, I have to admit, 
you really saw who the true leaders were, you know, in the industry. Yeah. There were some, there was some people that called themselves leaders and when they had to go lay off, you know, hundreds of people from their group or so on and so forth. And it just didn't say anything. It just said like, yeah, here's your paper, you're furloughed or you're layoff. And you know, I mean, I, I was having salespeople and managers and general managers call me, go, dude, I haven't heard anything like, like literally no communication from my owner in three months. And I'm like, wow. Like, I, I feel like this was a big opportunity. Like, I hated that device silver linings because it's just a horrible time to do that. But I think for, for a lot of companies out there, for a lot of vendors, for a lot of dealerships out there, you know, there was some silver lining because you really saw who the true leaders in the business were because they, they stepped up and they communicated at a high level. Did you see the same thing? I, I did. Um, my... I was looking, you know, more towards the the vendor side uh, because uh, just be, we can all go to a, an NADA in Las Vegas. Um, the vendors tend to, you know, we we kind of like, you know, we congregate. We have so many dealer friends, and there's a lot, you know, that are spread out across the country. And so I'm just kind of watching this getting picked off, and and people, you know, sharing their their stories about how it worked. Even you know, the company that I came from, there's there's just some stories that. They make you go, what? Yeah. That's what happened. Um, and I do believe that there are some that rose to the top. I also believe there was a lot that went underground, just like what you 100%. said. You, you didn't see them. They just disappeared. All of a sudden they're doing, you know, two videos a, a, a week, you know, talking about leadership and all this. And then pff, they're just gone and they're not fired. They haven't stepped away from their job. Yep. They just didn't know how to handle it. Just like you said. You know, no, I actually don't necessarily mind it because being a vendor myself, um, you know, I actually created additional opportunities for me, you know, mm -hmm. because we didn't slow down our servicing. In fact, we just right. did, we did the opposite. We actually just increased our service efforts, you know, through, through the entire, through the entire you know, pandemic and still even today we're, we're just still continuing to, but it's like, I'm, I'm getting people going, Jay, I'm like, I'm paying you like this much and I have my CRM company and I have my DMS company. And like, I've talked to you more in the last two weeks and I probably talked to them in the last six months. And it's like, you, you, you're connecting, you're caring. And, and I think that has to be a strategy for everyone out there is that moving forward, it's like, you almost have to, I'm going to ask you about this one, brand your way to profitability. Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> yeah, I believe so. so. I think that, the more emotional connection that you can, you can create with your um, demo, uh, the more chance that you're going to have retention, um, higher retention and uh, on the software side, less churn um, because who wants to, who wants to fire their friend, right? Uh, <laughs> exactly. You have to have a good product, but as we know, a lot of times, at least on the software side, even in the dealership, I mean, here's, here's a culture and uh, I'm never here to tell a dealer how to sell a car. That's not my job. That's not oh, what I'm good at. Yep. What I'm good at is making you look good, right? I'm good at, at helping you tell your story. And um, how many times have we heard buyers are liars? So it's in every, you know, every business. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. I, I did buyers are liars. I was wanting to get that out of my mouth and I forgot what my point was. Because it just rolls off the tongue, isn't it? It's just kinda... it, Yeah. Oh, I'm just, yeah. So it, so it, it comes down to the fact that, 
uh, it, the customer's always wrong. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. <laughs> the customer's always wrong, you know, uh, and have enough of self-awareness instead of sitting there and, and fake smiling and going, yeah, the customer's always right. We know that. So, so on the vendor side, you know, we have, a, there's a lot of cancellations just because the dealers don't have anybody using the product or they don't know how to use it. And that's not their fault. That's the, that's the vendor's fault. Oh, no, hundred percent for sure. Look, I, I think yeah. during this, uh, during the pandemic, like I said, we've seen a lot of cr- a cream rise to the top. So I'm actually curious for yourself. Um, do you have a couple examples of maybe some that you were surprised by and maybe some that you were not so surprised by? Um, I'll stay away from the negative side. Okay. Um, so let's, let's say the positive side. What, what were some of the positives you saw from, from a brand to, perspective? I'm still trying to, build, to the build this company. <laughs> 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 Call a vendor be like, hey, and what'd you say on that part? Um, one person that I believe really kind of uh, jumped to the beside, I, I started seeing a lot more of your content and I'm not just saying that to, to, to kiss your ass here. No, I started seeing you. a lot more of your content. Um, you own LinkedIn and I've got, I think I'm connected to almost 15,000 people on LinkedIn, but I'm constantly seeing what you're putting out there. Um, I'm trying. Trying to put out there and you're trying. putting stuff <laughs> out and it's, and I mean, it's quality content on, but other than you and what you're doing, uh, Glenn Pash, um, from the CEO of oh, Glenn's um, amazing. Glenn and Brian, both of them are absolutely amazing, amazing people. And, and see, you know, I got to do this. I got to leave Brian out of this. it. I'm just going to give Glenn the, the props here. I love Brian, but you know, <laughs> okay, you we'll know, just, we'll say Glenn. We'll give Glenn the props. Glenn's the older brother, but he's always got to hear people because Brian's more of the uh, extrovert, you know? It's true. Um, so, you know, and, and Glenn, we just had a conversation the other day. He's more of an introvert. Um, but just Glenn. Glenn has come out with these, you know, the series that he's doing multimedia about leadership and he's spot on with a lot of stuff that he's, he's talking about. And mm-hmm. I think he rose to the occasion because I think that there was other hustle and grind type people out there that weren't giving leadership information. They were just giving, uh, you need to, you need to do this, this, and this, so you can afford these shoes and then take a picture of your <laughs> shoes and put them on Instagram. Right. That's that to me is starting to fade away that mentality it, because it is and it isn't you know just when i think it's going away all of a sudden i'll see a couple more pop off again you know that 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 fake it till you make it kind of a thing but actually let's talk a little bit about the hustle and grind because i think this is so, super so, important. disclaimer real quick because yes. i got nothing against sean hayes i got nothing against uh, glenn lundy who and uh their partner i think is australian um that put together the hustle and grind kind of movement of the, they're capitalizing on it right and i i'm all for that right do that it's the ones that, that are selling the snake oil, um, that just, that is burning people out and it is making people work harder than, than smarter. So that's yeah, my you, you mean the ones that are driving their Ferraris where they're having the conversations and, uh, that they rented for the weekend and then, uh, uh, flashing the watches that are part of the, uh, that monthly just subscription model that they have. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, look, the, look, I, I look, I'm with you. I, I, for me, um, you know, hustle's always kind of been a part of just kind of our, our well, the industry, you know, I mean, bell to bell. I mean, I remember the first day I heard that term and it was just the first dealership I worked at. That was the culture. Like it was, it was a money driven culture. I mean, literally my, my manager would show up every Saturday with a roll of hundred dollar bills in his pocket. And it'd be my goal and objective to get as many of those out of his pocket and into my pocket. Right. And it was whatever it takes, you know, and it's, I mean, I remember being I remember leaving one time at five o'clock in the afternoon. They're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're trying to make it feel bad. You know, but what I've realized that of course over the years and experience is that, um, that, that hustle or that grind is it's, it's like a marathon. 
And I love marathons because, you know, when, when you train for a marathon, you know, you, you run your race, not the race of everybody else around you, right? So, you know, let's talk about, let's, let's try to debunk some of that hustle and grind kind of mentality. And, you know, the, of course, the positive and negative side of it, your thoughts? So I, I was going to use an analogy about gymnasiums and, and gym class from the 50s compared to today. <laughs> but uh, my kitchen actually has inspired me to change that analogy. Okay. So my, my house here in Kansas City, I'm in one of the oldest um, suburbs of Kansas City. Downtown's seven minutes away from me. I'm up north here. Um, my house is almost 100 years old. And I can look in my kitchen and I can think, you know, 100 years ago, to make a Thanksgiving, you know, uh, dinner or any kind of dinner, yeah. the, the amount of effort and the amount of time that you would have to put into making that dinner is excruciating. probably two days, right? Oh yeah. Um, today, a hundred years later, I've got, I don't know if you've heard of this, the, the June oven. I've got a June oh, oven. Got one so of those, huh? <laughs> do you, cool. have you heard of those? Yeah, I have. Yes. Yeah. So I have a June oven. I have, uh, I have two microwaves. I have a regular oven, the stovetop and all that kind of stuff for me to make a Thanksgiving dinner, which by the way, if anybody June oven, I'm not getting paid by them, but holy, it will change. I know, I know. (laughs) I can make a Thanksgiving dinner in like three hours, right? Yep. Is it the same thing? Yes, it's the same thing. Um, But I got smarter. Everything got smarter. The, the, I can, I can be old school and go in there and, and churn the butter myself, right? (laughs) <laughs> or I can, I can peel the potatoes old school style, or in today's world, I can, I can Google it and it's like, Oh, it's easier to do it this way. And I've got the stuff to do it that way. I've got a June oven. So I can just plug something in. It weighs it. It does it on its own. It's smart. That's the difference when hustle and grind. So yeah, yes. bell to bell. And I get it. There's a lot of people that have to do a bell to bell, uh, to make that living, to make that extra money, to do what they're doing. And they're just crushing themselves on the back end. If they have a family or kids and you know, you have those regrets later on. Mm-hmm. But all I say to those people is, man, go on, look for your own June oven, right? Yes. Look for your own. I'm telling you, I I've never, I have not used my old oven. The, the one that everybody has in their house since I got the June, <laughs> since I, I, and just give you an, an idea for anybody listening, like, what is the June oven? June oven is so smart that I can put a, a tray of cut up broccoli and slide it in the oven and shut the door. And the camera in top of the oven recognizes that it's broccoli and then asks me on the touch screen, is this broccoli? Yes. <laughs> do you want it charred or do you just want it cooked? Well, I want it charred. How charred do you want it? Make that stuff extra crispy extra and then crispy. It cooks on its own. And guess what? 60 seconds before it's done, it sends me an alert on my, on my, my mobile phone on my, and, and says, Hey, 60 seconds, your food's going to be done. And tell me how that is not easier than, than the old school way of doing it. And sales and grinding is exact same way. Well, you know what? I, I, See, I look at it as utilizing tech like that allows me just to do more, right? I mean, I mean, think about this. If the content I put out right now, okay, we post every hour on the hour uh, during every hour of a working day, okay? Yeah. And uh, we post right around 42 times a day um, over four different networks. So average is about eight to, time, eight to 10 times per network, right? And if, if I was, if I attempted <laughs> to create that much content, all right, seven years ago, all right, 10 years ago, all right, just the, the, the sheer manpower that would be required is insane. I mean, look, right now we're recording this podcast. I'm actually editing it in real time. 
right, the full version of this podcast will be completed by the time we're actually done having this conversation. So it allows uh, me, my, 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 I guess my hustle is my, my race, my marathon, right, is just bigger now because I have, you know, this, uh, the, this technology at my hands, you know, right. but, but I agree though, it's, it's, I think people get look at the hustle and they look at the grind and they figure that it's this 12 to 14 hour day. And, you know, for me, I grew up doing a lot of sports and the, the, for me, the hustle and the grind was the, the hustle was what you did during practice. All right. The grind was leaving everything that you had in the tank on the field and there was nothing left. And then that was it. It was, you know, the, the game had a time. All right. It was between these many hours we were going to be playing the game, but everything that we had, all right, was was left on that field. And I kind of look at it today. I mean, that's how I kind of look at it. Right. Is that is that that bell to bell? Look, your bell to bell could be from nine to three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> but it's how you feel that fill that time, I think, for me, is kind of the new age hustle. I don't know. Does that make the sense? Only, the only pushback I have from that, which kind of still goes along with my analogy. Mm hmm is that I played college, American college football. And um, that that was the mentality that we had. You know, you leave everything out on the field. You, you better not be able to, to walk off the field when the, when the gun fires at the end, when, the, you know, all four quarters is done. Until uh, an offensive coordinator of mine, you know, had a conversation with us and realized that technique over effort, it wins every time. For so, sure. You know what I mean? So instead of exerting yourself doing something that you're, you're not a technician about just because you think it's the way you need to do it, even though you're playing at a higher level than the, the you know, 95% of all the other people that played in high school, uh, you, you don't need to, your technique needs to be different. Um, and so I think that that's, that's the way in sales. And the person that I will give absolutely kudos for that, when you don't get into technology, if you leave technology aside and you just go into process and you just mm -hmm. go into how to be a good salesperson, I got to bring up Ollie Retta, man, in, oh, uh, yeah. in Michigan, oh, the, the, the Guinness book of world records. <laughs> uh, I, I almost said, I forgot who he beat, but there was like some controversy, but he is, he sold <laughs> the most cars of any other man on the face of the earth in a year. And his was through technique and process and retention. And he worked he, I don't know what he's doing now, but five days a week. And I don't think he worked more than nine hours a day. Oh, you know and what? That, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily, see, I, 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 I'm, look, I'm with you. I don't think anybody needs to be putting in 14 hour days, right? You know, but they I feel just, like they have to, to sell 12 cars a month. I mean, that's just, well, I mean, no, but it, it, I mean, I'll look, I'll, look, it's the, what you do with the time that you have, right? Yes. Um, there's a book that I was uh, listening to. Uh, by the way, I don't read. I, I, I hate to admit that. I'm right with you, man. Uh, but I, I, I consume, friend. I love audiobooks. I would listen to audiobooks all day long. And there's a book I was recently listening to. It was about uh, deep work, I think may have actually been the title of it, right? And it's the difference between hard work and then deep work. And I understand that kind of old mentality of the hustle and grind was just about hard work, that physical hard work, right? Deep work is entirely different. You know, it's like, it, look, it's very easy in our industry, all right, to, to be busy. You know what I mean? Like a manager yeah. can sit down with the amount of paperwork that they have at their desk and the amount of little tiny fires that are going on inside of a dealership. All right, you can fill eight hours pretty freaking quick and you are busy. But the pro, what you produce that day is not overly, overly deep. Do you, you know what I mean with, with that? No, absolutely. It's, uh, it, it's filled with got a minute meetings. Yes. People knocking on, hey, you got a minute? 
Hey, you got a minute? Hey, you got a minute? <laughs> but you know, I mean, to, it comes down to routine, right? So, I mean, yeah. with me, I, I let this thing dictate my day, right? So it's like, like I, in what I, way? I will even go as far as like, I know that in about an hour from now, I have kid time. Mm, and, oh, I got uh, you. Kid time scheduled in as a meeting. <laughs> and, you know, it's about two and a, two hours before bedtime. And the cool thing with this, and I love this tech we were talking about that earlier, the best way to do it is, is that um, the phone will automatically go into do not disturb mode uh, during the two it. hour period. So I can't get calls. I can't get text messages. Notifications won't pop up on my phone. Right. So it allows me to to, to take that time and deeply put in the effort versus just kind of being busy with it and and i feel like that's 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 a that's a big fundamental change from what the hustle and grind used to be and i think what kind of the, the hustle and the the grind is today but I, I think it totally is in line with your that the, the working smarter so i and that goes back to i'm gonna bring up myers-briggs again man and and like i i do consider myers-briggs to be the um the 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 what is it the horoscopes of psychology oh, so it's, sure. i mean take it with a grain of salt but i do believe that there's a lot of truth to it that there's 16 different personalities out there in fact there's a website that you can go to to get a real high level view of what maybe your personality is which is i think it's one six personalities.com and it's just a simple 10 minute test it asks you different questions about like when you go to a party do you like to be in the middle of the party talking to everybody or do you stay to the side <laughs> yeah like to me you know what i mean and I think that's the first step to, to, to find out, you know, who you are, because when you're telling me that you're, you know, you're the, a guy that's got it scheduled out on it on his phone. Right. And this is the way that you have to, to be disciplined. I'm thinking about that going, uh, I need to do that, but I don't have the discipline to do that. So it must be part of your personality that you can make that pull off. Right. Oh, I had to force myself. Like I, like, yeah. honestly, I'm like you, I'm an ex I, like, I like to execute. Right? Like my VP of sales, George, um, <laughs> he's my opposite. So it works out perfect. Right. Yeah. For, for me, I'm always building the rocket to visit the moon. And <laughs> so like, I just want to do, 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 and then figure out later. Right. But I, I like my EQ is low. I know it is. All right. I, I, I can easily get sucked into those. Hey, do you have a minute meetings? Um, so it's like, I, I had, I had to find a way, I had to find a way to hack and just let almost someone else manage it. But it was through being self-aware that I was able to finally do that. You know, that's really good. Yeah. It's good that you're able to, to discipline yourself to do something that was very hard for you to do. Because like I told you, I'm not, I'm not good at that. Right. I'm, I can get lost in video editing for four hours when, you know, it's not that I have other things that are on my plate that maybe I needed to call my dad. Right. And then two hours after that, I'm, I'm calling him going, and he's like, Oh, you got, you got stuck. Like it wasn't, it, it was just because I was just in my own world. If I'm, you know, doing video editing or if I'm doing a shoot or something like that, the, I do need to get on, on your level. My thing is, is I'm not married. I don't have any children. So I can kind of go by the seat of my pants on anything. I can you know, <laughs> you, do anything. You get a little bit more, a little bit more flexibility with that. Yeah, a lot, sure. <laughs> a lot more. So yeah. But, so you know what though, I find that the reason that actually pushed me to do that, I remember what actually finally was like the last straw. Um, what was, was the burnout. Yeah. Like I, I was getting, I would burn out once or twice a year. Right. And then it became once a quarter and then it got closer to every other month. Now what and is burnout to you? Like for me, burnout, burnout is like, yeah. um, I get, I get a, it's like a fog over my head, you know, for, it's like, it's I just can't, I, I can't 
I almost can't think beyond what's just right in front of me at that given moment. Um, so, yeah, you, know, you get disinterested and you get I, kind of distant from what I got you. Yeah. Like I don't feel like I'm ever kind of like moving forward. I feel like I'm kind of stuck in a, you know, like in one of those, uh, you know, those, uh, one of those little rat race type things where you're just going around and around and around. Hamster like wheel. Yeah. Hamster forward. wheel. Yeah. Hamster wheel. Thank you. Hamster wheel. You know, and then that, and I was getting burned out and that is what ultimately ended up making me just kind of, switch because there is so much burnout in our industry. I see burnout on the vendor side. I see burnout on the dealer side. And I'm actually kind of curious for yourself. I mean, I know how I ultimately ended up handling it, but, for, but how, how do you handle that? I drink heavily. Like, a, no, I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't drink heavily. Well, actually, do. I'm not a big, I'm not a drinker really at all. Um, I, so I, part of my, I, I mentioned earlier about a self-awareness journey that I've been on for mm -hmm. seven years. Uh, I needed to, to truly uh, look at myself. Um, I have this analogy that I use. Um, it's called the Taylor Swift analogy or the Taylor Swift lesson. Okay. I love um, I'm going to like this and, one. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I, I, I beg everybody to use this in their own personal world. What we know about Taylor Swift back in the early days, and as a 46-year-old uh, middle-aged man sitting in Kansas City, what I know about Taylor Swift is not that much, right? And I may be wrong about this, but it makes a great story and a great analogy. Taylor Swift dated, I think, 10 men within a period of time, Hollywood stars, rock stars, things like that. And out of those 10 guys, the, she broke up with every single, or there was a breakup with every single one of them, but eight of them got a song written about them, about how much of a piece of crap they were <laughs> and how much of a trashy boyfriend they were and about how uncaring and unemotional and basically about how she was wronged. Right. Uh, do you remember this at all? I do. I do remember this. So, so there's eight songs that she wrote and I just, to myself, when I'm reading this kind of article about, you know, she wrote another song, I go, you know what? Maybe her ninth song should be called, what if it's me? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, no kidding. Right. What if it's me? Maybe it might be me. Like there's, there's, if there's eight douchebags, <laughs> I might have a little bit of uh, you know, accountability for this whole thing. <laughs> and so that's what made me look at myself like, dude. You, you, you have a hard time sometimes getting along with certain people. You, you, you get very upset about things that, you, you know, um, about things that people say is, is trivial. So maybe I need to step back and be like, maybe all these people are, are right. Let me start with myself. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to burnout, you know, um, it was always blamed on other people. It was always blamed on the people knocking on my door. Hey man, you got a minute? that kind of shit. And so what I did is I, I took the Taylor Swift approach and said, maybe it's me. Maybe I need to put things in my life like what you're doing now with the schedule and, and not taking your cup and overfilling it. You know exactly how much room you have in that glass. You got it. I mean, you probably didn't before, but you've made the, the, the enough self-awareness to know how much that glass can hold. And you're not going to pour more and more and more. Uh, and, and that's because I, with my self-awareness came the mental health. Yep. Right. Yep. And, uh, man, uh, we already as, as middle-aged dudes, we already get a, a rough patch about mental health in the first place. We, yep. it's kind of taboo to talk about it. Right. Especially if you're in sales, if you're working well, you in know, a dealership, it's such a big deal in our industry. It's a huge you know, and it deal. Doesn't get it doesn't get talked about enough. Like I was just talking to someone the other day about the same subject and, and along the same lines, someone brought up like, you know, like the divorce rate in our industry. Like, I mean, there's just like, there's all these little, you know, things in our industry that, you know, the, the business takes a big toll 
a big toll on you. And it's like, we don't necessarily, no one ever taught us or trained us or coached us on, on how to identify our own, you know, um, our, our own pace and then keep it that way. We're always trying to match somebody else's pace. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's and that. And, and, a, and a leader or a manager or whatever will see the fact of like, let's say that, uh, that, that you have somebody on your team that's creating just, you know, uh, billboard images for LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. And you can see that they can create this designer can do about eight images a day or six images a day. It's as a manager and, uh, you know, for bottom line, you want to press them and you want to motivate them to see if you can get them up to 10 images a day. Right. Um, in the car business, that's, and I'll tell you, even in the sales side of the vendor side, it's the same. It's the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, with, you know, pay plans changing constantly. It's the fact that, you know, on average, what is it? 12 cars a month is what is on average right now that, that the average salesperson, you know, sells. And it's, it's constantly about pushing the team to sell more and more and more, which I think is healthy, right? I think that motivation is healthy. Oh, for sure. Uh, it's, it's just, I think that's the self-awareness of understanding what your capacity is, you know? Um, it, it really is. And, and I find that's, I mean, look, everything we've kind of talked about, you know, to this point has been leading back to that same thing is, is becoming more self-aware, right? Like you want to be a better manager, you need to be more self-aware, right? You want to be a better leader? You need to be more self-aware. You want to build a brand for your business. You start, all right, with really looking at yourself and being self-aware of not only who you are as an individual, but also who who you are as a company and what does that actually mean from a value proposition to your customers and your clients. Look, I'm Joey, I, I know that we could jam about this for probably another solid hour. Go too long. And I can definitely tell that there's a part two to this podcast <laughs> uh, coming up because we're just we're in sync here with so many things. It's, it's been a lot of fun to jam with you today, Joey. Uh, but before I let you go though, uh, for everybody that's been watching and listening to us and shaking their heads up and down and just kind of really digging it, but they'd love to connect with you and kind of follow along with your journey. Like what's the best way to do so? Uh, smoke signals or skywriting is usually my preference, <laughs> but if you can't do that, it's just simple. I mean, it's just a Google search, Joey Little. Um, there's like a football player and a young actor that have the same name as me, a Facebook search. I keep everything pretty public, uh, LinkedIn, all of that. It's just Joey little. Uh, it's, uh, my last name is, is um, we're Northern Irish. It's Gaelic. It means small in Gaelic. Um, but i grandpa would be proud. Uh, loves that joke. Um, but yeah, just it's connect man. And, uh, you know, it, we can continue the conversation. I, like I said, I'm here in Kansas City. I live by myself during this pandemic, not married, no kids. So it gets kind of uh, haunting around here. So it's good to have conversations like this. Oh, I'm so glad we were able <laughs> to do this today. Um, Joey, uh, thank you so much for your time, man. You have, you have yourself an amazing day. Thanks, man. We'll see you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe.